this is a bizarre world of Canadian investment advice. If you go to seek advice, they will tell you to buy this ridiculously expensive mutual fund, which looks identical to this fund from the same bank that charges one twentieth of the cost. It's madness. And the problem is in Canada, as in other places in the world, the industry never presents a bill. They never say, here, Bo, here's exactly what you're paying. And here's the impact of those costs over time. Do you understand that? Perhaps you'd like to look at some lower cost products we have on the shelf over here. They never say that. This is the Personal Finance Show. I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. Larry Bates wants you to beat the bank. That's the title of his new book, and it's all about challenging the status quo of Canadians paying the highest investment fees in the world and believing that the financial industry has their best interests at heart. You see, Larry spent his whole career on the business side of the banking and investment worlds. One day he was sitting up in his ivory tower and a phone call from his sister changed everything. That's when he decided to use his knowledge about the financial industry to become an advocate for Canadian investors. Larry's all about transparency and making sure you don't pay high investment fees. And in his book, he proves that you don't need to be an expert to be an investor. You just need to know the basics. Larry joined me in the studio in Hamilton to share his personal finance story. I, I can remember uh, my parents announcing uh, every a year or so when I was a little kid, okay, we're going to go on an economy drive. An economy drive, okay, okay. I'll let you explain what that is. <laughs> Basically, you know, tightening down the uh, everything and, and, and limiting oh, spending. Okay, as like much in as the possible. household. Like, yeah, in the household. Okay, so this is an event. Yeah, you know, we're not going to buy fresh milk anymore. We're going to buy powdered milk. Or, okay. You know, one less pork chop in the package or something Interesting. like that. Interesting. You know? So uh, I remember that. Um, that's probably the next memory about money I remember was uh, became a newspaper boy. So, so you started making money of yeah. your own. So you learn about this. I'll just go back to the economy drive for a sec. You yeah. learned, and, and this taught you to audit your spending every so often? Or well, it wasn't did it really teach you mine. Anything? It was just the awareness that, yeah. you know, this isn't important. You know, okay, there's... Some money coming in, and there's a bunch of money going out. Yeah. You've got to manage this, and it's important for the, you know, as a family thing, as a household. So uh, you knew that early. Yeah. Like, how, like really early? Yeah. Like, I don't know, I mean, it was, you know, six, seven, eight yeah. years old. I remember hearing about the economy drives. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it made sense. I'm sure we'll come back to that at some point. So now you're making, well, real money, little yeah. money, newspaper. Uh, you don't make tons of money doing that, though. I think, you know, this is, uh, you know, in the 60s, right? So I think I was making uh, five bucks a week or something. Sure. Well, that sounds but pretty was, good. Yeah, it was great. Okay. Fantastic. Do you remember what you would spend this kind of thing on? Uh, the first thing I bought was a camera. It cost 10 bucks. Really? But like, so a, a film camera? Yeah. Like a, yeah. Yeah. Like a regular, regular point and shoot. Yeah. 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 Cool. So were were you was, into photography? I mean, 
I don't know. It was more like a toy. I, I yeah. got bored with it fast, actually. Okay. <laughs> the, the time it takes to develop the film. Yeah. It was, you know, and it cost a lot of money. It cost as much to develop a film yeah. as it, the camera cost. So. People might not know what film is even if they're listening. You know, what? Know. Why, why would I develop film when I can just load them onto my computer? So right? 20th century, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, you're making money as this uh, here where you buy your camera. Maybe you're buying other little things, but... No, no big deal. I bought Canada Savings Bonds, I think. Wait, not then. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> really? Was, you know, yeah, I think I bought, like, that you know, early? saved up 100 bucks and bought a Canada Savings Bond. Wow. And, and it was, you... like, 8% interest or something. Sure, so, yeah, something fantastic. Yeah. Uh, do you remember what might have happened to that savings bond? I think I actually ended up saving, you know, by the time I went to... Like, for university? You know, university, I had... I probably ended up with, you know, three or four hundred dollars yeah. from my paper route. Right? That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's that's such early, like early saving. Like yeah. you don't even think I'm just going to buy a, a bond <laughs> yeah, like, with this and everyone else is buying, you know, uh, whatever toys or, well, you bought your camera. Yeah, no, I, I didn't, I didn't save it all. By any no. Means. So you, you had this balance early on. Uh, you just kept doing that and saving it? No, I mean, I wasn't a paper boy forever. I was no, for yeah. three or four years, and then I became a teenager, and uh, the hell with that, right? Yeah, hell yeah. who wants to do that? <laughs> yeah. I want to have fun, Yeah, but so, but also make some money. My first summer job was, I was 17, and then, you know, I kept doing summer jobs through yeah. until I uh, ended uh, university. What kind, of jo- what kind of job do you remember? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, uh, I worked on uh, on the ships that ferry passengers between Nova Scotia and Newfoundland. Okay, so this is a good time to mention you're from the East Coast. Yeah, yeah. I grew up, uh, I was born in Nova Scotia and grew up mostly in Moncton, New Brunswick. Okay, nice. So you're working on the water or on yeah, the... On the ships, yeah. On yeah. The ships. A six-hour uh, trip from uh, from Cape Breton to Newfoundland, and okay, back, back and forth, two, yeah, two, three times. A I might day, be making that, that trip in the summer. That'll be nice. Oh, you love it. My wife's family is from Cape Breton, so oh, and I, I got to see Newfoundland. Cape Breton and and Newfoundland are the are, are the the two most unique parts of of, of English speaking Canada. Yeah, anyway, and uh, yeah, you'll love it. My parents are from uh, Cape Breton, also. Oh, amazing, amazing. Yeah. Wait, so. Uh, What's is Bates the last name? What? Yeah, and there's a little little hamlet in Cape Breton called yeah. Batesden. Batesden. Okay, yeah. well we'll have to look for for that. Uh, there's a stop sign there, so don't blink. That's, <laughs> that's, and that's it. That's all that's there. Okay, so this is you're working. You have different opportunities than someone working, say, in the prairies or or in Ontario, even, and having being able to do that. And uh, were you saving? Is this? Do you already have this ability? To, uh, yeah, I was to definitely sa- saving at that point. All I was of that stuff. University at that point. And yeah, that was, it was a great. Uh, it was a great summer job because it was a union. Job. Oh, really? So okay. Um, you know, I was making more than most of my friends in my summer job, so that was great. Was, and did you have any help uh, to pay for university? Like, what were your? Yeah, were your my, parents? my parents pitched in. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, this money was, would it be your, your spending money or like just kind of yeah, to I help mean, I, cover you know, tuition? I probably paid my tuition and paid part of my, uh, part of my housing and, you know, probably paid for half of it overall, mm-hmm. or maybe 60% and my parents pitched in the rest. Did you have like a formal deal uh, with them or did like, yeah. were they always going to pay for some of it? You know, it was, they were, they were generous and I was contributed. So, you know, it was, it was worked well. What, what kind of work did they do? If you don't mind, uh, my father, uh, was uh, a civil engineer and he worked okay. for uh, Canadian National Railways his whole career. Oh, really? Wow! Like an yeah. actual uh, you know, rail engineer, like the yeah. ones that we <laughs> not the guy <laughs> not at driving, the front, the toot, no. toot, but uh, but uh, in in that in that industry, yeah, yeah, yeah really yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, 
and uh, he loved it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Then where'd you go to university? I went to Dalhousie University in Halifax. I started uh, in the science program because okay. all I knew was I didn't want to do arts. Sure, uh, and those I didn't were the know two much options. Else. <laughs> uh, but then I, uh, I figured out there was this uh, business program, yeah, commerce degree, and I thought, wow, this is sounds pretty cool. So I switched. And you, did you have an interest? Like, were you able to take any courses in high school in, in like finance or commerce or economics? Economics, economics was economics. it. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that. Okay, uh, although it was. But I like the, 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 the more realistic business stuff better because, you know, economists focus on the future and some of it's sort That's of, right. It's, 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 it's like it's all guessing games. A lot of and, theory and, yeah. and it, it doesn't hold so well in practice. Was it the investing part of it or, or like you, did you want to be an entrepreneur? What was it that like I want to run a business? I just was interested. I, I just was interested in, yeah, the business side of it. I just was. That's what intrigued me. And uh, in terms of my. Uh, the courses I liked, I, I liked the whole program, except for accounting. I hated that. Um, but, Everybody uh, hates accounting. I'm like the only one that actually enjoyed the basic, like grade 11 accounting was my favorite course. In yeah, I mean, there's a certain, I mean, I like math, so there is a certain sure. beauty in the organizer, the logic and everything. But uh, I, liked, I liked finance and investing. That's what uh, I yeah. liked uh, in, when, I, when I did my, uh, my degree at Dow. So it was a commerce, uh, a yeah. Bachelor of Commerce? Yes. And do you get to specialize in like, you know, financial like products, like derivatives? You're talking about derivatives or things like that? Or? Well, I wasn't much happening in, uh, okay. you know, in, in, uh, in the late 70s when I was oh, in Oh, gotcha. School. Okay, so this is, <laughs> are these relatively new concepts then? Well, you know, I was, you know, I... I I got involved in derivatives in my in my career, uh, in sort of the early formative days of a lot of that stuff, which was fantastic. Interesting. But so, like was, uh, stock options and it, what, what, what would you classify as a derivative? Options, futures, options, futures, uh, um, uh, swaps, swaps. Yeah. So all these things. Forwards. Probably anybody who's listening is like, I don't want to know about any of this stuff. But <laughs> yeah. but these things, these are tools that could probably. Uh, that probably helped you make a little more money in your career as well. Well, I mean, I I, I don't like these are not uh, instruments for they're not particularly useful for average investors. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but they are um, they're actively used by professionals and by large. Uh, institutional investors and large corporations and governments hmm. to uh, to manage risk and to make investments for for hedging, right? Yeah. Like, would you say like if some? Uh, I mean, in businesses I've been in, we've dealt in two currencies, say, right? Yeah, Canadian U.S. currency. Right. And so, if we're you know dealing a lot in a U.S. currency which we don't control, it's good to use you know a currency future to hedge the risk. You're basically eliminating risk. Right? Yes, and that's that's how most companies use derivatives yes. to eliminate. Risk and uh, people think derivatives are this sort of nasty nuclear bomb or this. Sure, of, uh, yeah, it's radioactive, dangerous <laughs> stuff, and it can be. Yeah, but uh, you know, but most of it is uh, most of it's, most of derivatives are used for hedging. Well, the the, the reason I, I I bring it up is is because there's a lot of you know there's a lot of different strategies for individuals being put out there, right? In terms of you know do this, do that, and you can cover all of your uh, you know all of your, all of your risk you know, encouraging someone to buy a bunch of options and maybe putting some sort of cap on them uh, so that you have no loss. Like, what do you think of these sort of like personal investing uh, strategies that are out there? Well, I I don't uh, subscribe to that yeah. kind of stuff. I did a little bit of it when I was younger. Sure. But it was really just... Just trying little, it out. Yeah, trying it out. But um, to me, that's not really investing. Sure, okay. That's what? that's kind of like... Uh, gambling. Gambling, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it like is. betting on the market. It uh, really market's is. Market's going to go up. Market's going down. 
what's hot, what's, you know, cryptocurrency or, or yeah. cannabis stocks, or <laughs> I think, you know, Apple's going to go crazy in the next six months. All sell more iPhones. That's, yeah, I, I, that's, to me, that's not really investing. Yeah, well, then what what is your, uh, your definition of investing, say? Yeah, my definition of investing uh, in terms of the stock market is sure. long-term business ownership. Mm-hmm. That ha- That's the, the biggest wealth creator in the world. Yeah. I love the stock market because... <laughs> It basically democratizes capitalism. Right. You can own right? little bits of this and that. Whatever, decades or centuries ago, yeah. uh, only the very wealthy had access to long-term, you know, owning businesses over the long term. People would go to a, 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 someone with a lot of money and say, will you invest in my business? Yeah. Average people didn't have access to the benefits of business ownership. That's right. The stock market gives people that. Anybody with a few, you know, a couple thousand dollars or, or, or more can be a business owner by by owning stocks. I mean, I, if I own 100 shares of Royal Bank or even one share of Royal Bank. You get a vote. I'm a business owner. <laughs> I've got thousands of people going to work for me every day whose number one aim is to make money. For yeah, me, yeah. For, my, for me, the shareholder. And so, uh, you know, that's a fantastic thing. Uh, I like that. Yeah. The way I look at it is don't bet on the market. Use the market yeah. to bet on long-term business ownership. That's how wealth is created. That makes a lot of sense because the alternative, which we were mentioning about, like you know, trying to time things and buying options and forwards and and predicting where things are going to go, that's just like looking at at graphs and stuff and and uh, looking at numbers and saying, I think this is going to go up. You're not really paying attention to the business most of the time, are you? Well, all that short term trading. It's short term. That's not yeah. about that's not about wealth creation. That's it's actually not. about exchanging wealth, yeah. trading wealth back and forth. And most average investors, when they're doing that lose there's no growth there you're right it's just balancing out one goes up one goes down and you're just yeah. it's a zero sum somebody game. loses yeah yeah and, and it's usually you yeah, okay? yeah. The, the professional is <laughs> the one who usually wins that's right they're probably playing smarter but even they lose all the time they the do professionals they, can't predict they just don't talk happen. about those no. do they and they try to make it up the next day day trading like i i just whenever i hear i actually don't know if i've ever heard of anyone being successful in day trading people talk about their success but don't mention their failures but i sure. I, I i prefer decade trading De- yes exactly you want to have a decade at least in, on the horizon when you buy something you're not going to get you're not going to do anything with it for at least a decade right i'll give you kind of a uh, my favorite chart in the in the in the book is sure. uh, a series of statistics 90 years of statistics mm-hmm. daily statistics from the uh, the S&P 500 which is the largest us stock index it looked at every single day as to whether the market was up or down so on any given day over 90 years what do you think the probability is of the market being up I don't know, 50%? 54% yeah. on any given day, Yeah, which means that there's a 46% chance of you losing money. Yeah. Now, if you're risk-averse, that doesn't sound very risk-averse, no, does it? No, no. Okay. Now, on a day. Look, yeah. Right, on yeah. a day. So if we go to a five-year time okay. frame, okay. if you look at f- five-year chunks of time, the probability of, of making money goes to 75%. Oh, interesting. Okay. If you look at 10, 10 years, it goes to 95%. Yeah. If you look at 20 years... It's 100%. So there has never been a 20-year period over the last century, effectively, on the S&P 500 where a person has could possibly have lost money. No, losing money. You might not, if you have any expectations, you might not get the return that you thought you might get, but that's another story completely. I mean, you can pull the numbers any given way, but what I'm saying, essentially, is if you have a diversified group of, uh, of good stocks, yeah. you know, time, time converts is, yeah, a, a short-term it. gamble to a pretty it's not a gamble anymore you're gonna make money it's just a matter of how much and if you know you shouldn't expect it to make 
you know, uh, tons of money. Like, I think people have these crazy high expectations, though, don't they? Like a 20% return over time, which is not realistic, is it? No, uh, but uh, the the incredible thing is you you can earn a a reasonable, what looks like a, a reasonable return or a modest return even over a year let's say five or six or seven percent, mm-hmm. but you do that over 20 years and compounding mm-hmm. powers that return into astonishing results. Yeah, compounding helps. And then and it may, might average like five or six or seven percent every year, but the fact that, you know, maybe one year it went up, one year it went down, but the compounding really does make a huge difference, right? You'll triple or quadruple your money over, over 20 years with a seven percent annual return. Yeah, okay, and we'll get back to that and we'll get back to the book. But I want to continue with your story. So sure. You get this degree in commerce. At this time, if I remember from other guests, people come to your school and offer you jobs. <laughs> Did they do that to you? <laughs> Not quite. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I graduated from, uh, from Dalhousie in 1978. And at okay. that time, for commerce graduates, yeah. there were three main types of employers. Okay. One was the federal government. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I didn't get past the second round there. Really? And I thought that would be a great, like I was all keen. Yeah, you wanted to do government. Well, because in the Maritimes, if you get a government job, that's a government pension, You're index set. and all that stuff. Man, that's, like, <laughs> that's hard to beat. Okay? Yeah, sure. Okay, so, so I failed there. I didn't, I didn't get anywhere there. The other two main employers were accounting firms. Mm-hmm. Scratch not, that one. Not your no cup of tea. And then uh, bank branch trainee okay okay go work in a branch in a little town somewhere and be the assistant branch manager what about private companies and stuff no there wasn't much but i but i did i was able to get a job at at sun life assurance company okay in their investment division in in halifax uh so mortgages and real estate investment yeah like investing the money that the company had yeah and investing their institutional money yeah residential mortgages as well as commercial mortgages okay so i learned a bit about the investment business there i did that for a year but then i uh i landed a job just by applying through uh, a newspaper ad and that landed a job at scotia bank in toronto okay and And so so you moved is that when you moved from the east coast yes so i've been here for almost 40 years oh wow and so what did you start doing at Scotiabank? Uh, I was a banker. I was a, a credit analyst analyzing credit risk on loan app- corporate loan applications. So, so big, big loans? Big company, yeah, big U.S. corporate loans. Yeah. Interesting, because Scotiabank it was always uh, outside of Canada, or were they just starting at this time, or how, how well, long are they? They've been doing that kind of business for- Early days? Um, a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I believe Scotiabank had, a, had an international branch- before they had a Toronto branch. Did they really? They had a branch in Jamaica before they had a branch in Toronto. And a lot of other places in the world as well, right? Yep. But, you know, we think of them as a Canadian bank and, yeah. or, well, or, or an East Coast bank even. Yeah, and that's where they started in, in Halifax in, I don't know, whatever, 18... Yeah, early it was really early days. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. With the, when the bank started in Canada. Yeah. So you're working. You're you're looking at companies. They need money for something, and they're coming to Scotia Bank, and they're, they're like, I need this money. I want to build another warehouse, or I want to do this or that, or maybe even bigger stuff yeah. than that. And yeah. you're looking at you're assessing them to see if they are a good risk? Yeah, see if they're going to pay back their money. Yeah, how, how do you know? How do you know? Well, that? just looking at their financial condition, looking at their sales, looking at their trends, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and these are all, all big companies. Uh, sure. And, you know, not, but some big companies go bankrupt sometimes. That's right. So, you know, banks have to be, banks are careful who they lend money to. And, uh, sure. uh, you know, they, uh, they're usually right, but 
on the other hand, banks uh, banks do screw up uh, every few, few years very royally. Do you remember saying no uh, to, or like recommending a no to certain ones? I know this is early days. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can remember, you know, red flag. Red flag. Was, uh, <laughs> but I was, you know, I, I didn't know much. I was a very junior guy at that point. You and, knew uh, enough to look at, look at a balance sheet uh, or an income statement and, and see that maybe something didn't sit right or just look at data over years. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're good was, at analysis. And I was learning. I mean, I was being yeah. trained to do that. So, yeah. yeah. So, so you're are you doing that for a little bit then, or I did that for a year or so, and then I uh, then I they wanted me to move to New York and or Atlanta because I was working in the U.S. division essentially, and I just started enjoying life in Toronto, so I wanted yeah. to stay. So, so I switched over to uh, to uh, Canada Trust, which was starting a corporate lending business. So okay. I did that. So when I was sort of twenty four, twenty five, I was going out and. And, and, and talking to big companies and, 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 and arranging okay. large loans for them. So that was, you know, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot there. It's great. I, this is a, so much a, fun. Because before you were just sort of in a, at a desk. I was at a desk, you know, internal. Looking at documents. Yeah. And now you're going out to talk to people. Now I'm going out talking to treasurers and VPs of finance. And I'm only 24, 25. It was crazy. You couldn't get to do but that. But you have all the days. power here. You're, you got the money. Yeah. You're I, the bank. Yeah. And yeah. you're trying to help them get to you're, but you're also trying to get them as clients. Yeah, and competing against other financial institutions who are trying to earn their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that was that was a great experience. Sometimes I'll just if somebody has a finance background, I'll focus on like what they what they did. But I also want to talk about what you were doing with your money at this time. So you're mm-hmm. you pay for school. Was it, did you have any loans when you were done? Um, I did have small student loans. Yeah. yeah. So you're just paying those back, like nothing yeah. too, uh, nothing breaking. Yeah. Again, I was lucky. I had a good summer job. And yeah. And then from help from parents. That's yeah. good. So you get to Toronto and is this like a, is this big bucks for you or is it still like entry level, entry level money at the time? Moving from Halifax, I think it was making, I don't know, $11,000 a year there or okay. something like that. My yeah. first job and the Scotiabank job was 18. Okay, that's, so that was a pretty good move. That's in one a pretty year. good move, yeah. Um, one year, and then uh, yeah, so I was doing well, living in an apartment in, in in Midtown Toronto, and sure, life was good. I was having lots of fun. So yeah, so you're having fun. You're you're you start buying uh, any investments, any uh, assets at this time, or when when would your first sort of investment or, or property? Did you, did you buy property at that point? What uh, the savings was? You're just building, building up, up savings. savings in order to eventually build a house, uh, buy a house, which we did. And was that always the goal? Did, did you did you have that goal in mind? Like, yeah. I'm. This is for a down well, payment for yeah. a house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, of course, you can't predict the future, but that was in the back of my mind. Yeah, because not. I mean, I guess I mean, today not everybody has that goal for their savings. But was that more? Like was that just def- something you were definitely going to do? Well, that's that, that's what was in my mind at the time. Yeah. And then, well, you know about all these financial products, but you're not touching those yourself yet. You know, I was in the banking world, so I was wasn't really uh, in the investment industry yeah. yet. Not yet. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah, I, I I I probably didn't even have stocks at that time. I just you know yeah. GICs and you know earning interest, and at the time. You know, you could earn yeah. six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent interest on yeah, uh, I know. On, uh, on your savings bonds or or GICs or whatever. So it was pretty good. Well, somebody told me that mutual funds kind of came to be because you couldn't make money on GICs and in bonds much anymore, and they were looking for something 
that was worth people's while. Yeah. Like it was actually a positive thing to have a mutual fund that charged two and a half percent at one point. Right. Because it was way better than the alternatives. Yeah. I think mutual funds um, really started to grow in volume in Canada uh, when interest rates started to drop lower, Mm -hmm. as you said. And Mm -hmm. also as companies stopped providing guaranteed pensions. Okay. Yes. So that coincided. Sort of invest through their own RSPs and so forth. And so that was really the rise of mutual funds. And, uh, I don't think it was ever good to have to pay those no, terrible okay. fees. No, okay, so never good. <laughs> <laughs> which do so much damage. But, uh, Absolutely. But, yeah, they were better than some alternatives at the time. Of course, now there's lots of lower-cost alternatives that are much better than mutual funds. Eventually, you're getting into uh, working and investing. Yes. Uh, and so how long until that? I left Canada Trust after three or four years and went to Merrill Lynch. I was at Merrill Lynch for a couple of years and then RBC Capital Markets okay. for 23 years or something. And this is business. This was dealing with uh, large institutions, yeah. uh, dealing with big companies, um, never dealing with individual. No, investors. no, not at not at the time. And yeah. I dealt mostly in uh, in in bonds and and related derivatives, so not stocks. But you know, I was in the investment world for you know thirty years or whatever, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I learned a lot. I worked with large institutional investors in Canada and around the world. Mm-hmm and advised them, worked with them. So I learned a lot. Yeah, and so did you then apply this knowledge at the time to your personal investments? Uh, were you were you learning enough like to to realize like what was good and what was bad for you? You know, I, I wish... <laughs> at the time. I, I knew, you know, I, I had a better philosophy. I never really thought about long the long-term. Interesting, long yeah, term then. At that time. Yeah. So, you know, I did, I bought a few stocks. I did, I did play around with options a little bit. But... But I, I kind of figured figured out. Look, you want to be a, a long term business owner. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did. I did listen to my brokers at the time because, and they were saying, "Oh, you should buy this fund, this Thai fund, or this, you know, this this or whatever." So I did buy some crappy stuff along the way. Yeah. So at the time, you 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 got some savings. You you have your house, which you're you're paying down, so you're building equity there. Yeah. You got your savings, and then everybody's saying, "Well, you should buy some of this or that." And because that was the way to go. No mutual funds yet at this point. You know, I did buy, did have some of that kind of stuff, but then I, I, I kind of figured it out. And then I'd started buying and holding kind of forever. Yeah. Um, blue chip stocks like bank stocks. Yes. Or like Bell Canada or like CNR or stocks like that, which, uh, which I've, you know, I've, some of which I've owned for, you, you still know, have for decades. Yeah. You still yeah. have many of them. And right? that's been by far the, the best and that was the safe way to go at the time safe but like and we 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 look you know hindsight is 2020 right we look back and you know if somebody asked now you know what should i've done you know 30 years ago buy bank stocks right is the (laughs) is the answer but would we say put everything in bank stocks now well, no, because well, we don't, know the, we don't know the end. We don't know where it's going. Also, it doesn't really meet the diversification uh, aspect of what you know most of us recommend right, to be safe and balanced in yes. long-term growth, right? Right. For for risk management, but you know, if you look back and uh, if you bought banks and you had like you know fifty thousand dollars in banks a while back, you're doing pretty okay right now. Like, it, what is it, twenty five percent or something returns? I don't even know. Yeah, it's high. The though. banks have been great, at, right? And and. Again, the compounding effect over exactly time is, is that very over time, because especially if you reinvest the dividends that they pay. That's it, and and so yeah, that's an, another interesting thing to mention. I do own a couple of bank stocks, um, and 
Yeah, they, they have automatic dividend reinvestment programs, and they're free. And yeah. I've written a couple of posts on, on that. You don't have to go through a broker even. You can buy them directly from the company. Yeah. It's, it's really it's great. Free trades. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, but that's if somebody wants to get started. But now everything's so much, I guess, simpler in a way. Like it, I feel like there were so many barriers even five years ago, like before Wellsimple and, and the other robos mm-hmm. started in Canada. Yes. And I was just like anti-broker. And so when Wellsimple came up, I was like, well, this is great. Like you're actually going to just take my money and charge like a little teeny tiny half a percent. I'm okay with that because I was not – people don't invest because it's so complicated, Right. Absolutely, and and, and it's and th- investing is portrayed as so confusing and complicated yeah. and dangerous. Don't even bother trying, you know. So yeah, I think uh, the robo advisors like Wellsimple and Nest Wealth, uh, et cetera, et cetera, they're great uh, for sort of a no brainer, super low maintenance. Right? Yeah, and, you know, answer a few questions in an online survey, and they'll recommend a portfolio, and you know, take sign up, and it's you don't have to just leave it. Now they do, you know, they do charge. They do charge uh, for yeah. that, yeah. and uh, but way, way less than mutual funds. Yeah, that's a fraction right. of what mutual yeah. funds. So you build a, you'll build a bigger nest egg using a robo advisor. Yeah, you can all if you also you could just buy three or four simple index ETFs. Do it yourself. You know, Canadian stock ETF, a U.S. stock ETF, perhaps a bond ETF. That'll cost you maybe. A quarter of a percent a year in, yeah. in costs, and just some some time, uh, like a little bit of your time. Uh, a bit of time, you you can, might, but you can spend two or three hours a year literally doing. That. Yeah, it's really just sort of rebalancing. If you know what to do. Yeah, uh, and then of course you could buy stocks yourself. I, I think that's probably right for only about five or ten percent of people. Yeah, you really have to have some experience and comfort. You, you have to have an interest in it, right? That's what I always and say. An, and a little yeah. bit of an interest. Although you could buy, let's say, I don't know, pick a stock: RBC, Bell, sure. Apple. You know, Google, I don't know, Johnson & Johnson. You could buy a stock yeah, and, like, tuck it away and, and not look at it for 20 years. You don't, you don't have to do anything. Yeah, it's true. It's, not, yeah. it's pretty easy. Just don't put all your money in the, the yeah, one stock. Yeah, of course. You have to, that's one of the challenges was doing it yourself. Yes. You have to build some diversification because we don't know which stocks are going to do well in the future. Uh, and you're probably going to have some that don't do so well, and hopefully that will be offset by some that do. So uh, so do it. really doing it yourself is an option for some investors. The couch potatoes, sort of buy two or three low-cost index ETFs. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic route for many. And then robo-advisor if you want a super low-maintenance, low low-touch. The key, in my view, yeah. Bo, for investors out there is take a little bit of time to learn the basics. And if you do, investing can be very simple. In fact, the simpler, the better. If you do that, you you build a little bit of knowledge and be able to take advantage of these low-cost Fantastic low low cost alternatives, robo or couch potato approach or whatever, mm-hmm. and avoid the high cost mutual funds, which most advisors that's all they sell is this high cost stuff because that's their job. That's their job to sell these. That's their job. You know, like a good example is just to pick a bank, TD Bank. Yeah, they've got uh, you know they've got a, a super low cost index fund. Sure, they charge less than a tenth of a percent a year. Okay, and what stocks do they own? The big five banks, uh, CNR, uh, Enbridge, okay, uh, Suncor, and TransCanada Pipeline. So those are nine of the top ten stocks. Saves you from okay. buying them all yourself. Yeah, right. Okay, so they only charge they charge less than a tenth of a percent a year. Okay. Pretty good, right? Yeah. But if you go to a TD Bank branch, they'll tell you to buy the TD Canadian Dividend Fund. Of course, which what are their top? What are their nine of their top ten stocks? 
The same. Same top, thing. Five, top five banks, Suncor, TransCanada Pipeline, CN. Okay. And okay. Same stocks, but what do they charge? They charge 2% a year. Really? Versus okay. the point so one. So that's the bizarre thing. Yeah. This is the bizarre world of Canadian investment advice. What, do they have logic uh, for this? <laughs> the logic is they get paid a pile of money to do it. <laughs> but it's, it's just bizarre. If you go to seek advice, they will tell you to buy this ridiculously expensive mutual fund, which looks identical to this fund from the same bank that charges yeah. you know, one 20th of the cost. It's madness. You're working in banks. Yeah, I know you're not working directly with individuals when you were, but are you seeing this while you're there? Are you like, you know, what like what inspired the book? Like, what were there were there uh, events that happened, or just your your slow realization? Yeah, I, I didn't pay a lot of attention to how the average investor was treated. I I, I, I figured out pretty pretty quickly. You know, these mutual funds and the stuff brokers sell are usually crap. Yeah, and I, I started for you know, buying long term yeah. individual stocks. But I was aware of what was going on with retail investors and just sort of, you know, thought, wow, this is kind of crappy. But I didn't, I wasn't involved in that business. Yeah. But then uh, about five years ago, mm-hmm. I was sitting on the trading floor on the 68th floor, one of the bank towers in downtown Toronto, and I got a call from my sister, Mary. Okay. In New Brunswick. And she said, Larry, hey, all we hear about is how well the stock market's doing, but this bank mutual fund that we've held for, for 15 years really hasn't done very much. Yeah. We don't understand why. Can you have a look? Sure. So I had a quick peek and I said, well, do you realize you're paying 2.3% oh. in fees? And she said, what, you were paying fees? I said, yeah. She said, you mean 2.3% of our, our gains every year? Mm. I said, no, no, no. 2.3% of your total amount invested, which means if you've owned it for the past 15 years, 30 or 40% of your money is gone in fees. Yeah. And she was... She was shocked, upset. Like she and her husband, they're average Canadians. Every every penny of her savings is is precious to her. She yeah. felt like, wow. She felt betrayed. Now yeah. I'm not saying the bank lied to her, uh, but they certainly didn't explain the fees very well, or they certainly didn't explain the impact of those fees. Yeah, they made it seem like they 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 should be trusted, like they were looking yes. out for her. Yeah, and that's you know, t- Canadians are just too trusting of their banks. I had a guy definitely. Uh, uh, Twitter uh, last week, he said to me, uh, you know, Canadians treat banks like uh, like like their local priest or minister. Or it's Tim like Hortons. This, or Tim <laughs> Hortons is like, you know, everybody trusts them. And, and, and that's blind trust is not healthy in any commercial no. relationship. Yeah, okay? like you're you're buying and selling products. You got to have a little buyer beware. You have to have a little bit of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my sister, Mary, I think you know, here I am on, you know, doing well on Bay Street, driving a BMW, everything's good. And my sister down in New Brunswick, New Brunswick is getting shafted, just yeah. trying to do her best, you know, and, and that really, that, that bugged me. And I felt, sure. I, I wasn't feeling too good about my, my, uh, the industry I was working yeah. in. So I thought I'm going to do something about this. Okay. And ended up writing this book and becoming a, an advocate for individual investors. That's great. And I, I, I noticed that you're, you're part of a transparency group. Is that, uh, is that correct? Yeah, I'm what, involved with a couple about? of groups. One is uh, one is the um, investor advisory panel for the Ontario Securities Commission. Okay, so it's a group of people who advise the regulators on investment rules and regulations from an investor point of view. Yeah, trying to represent the what the people investor. what the people actually yeah think. And then there's this group called Transparency Task Force out of the UK. I like that. And they their their message is they're advocating for financial institutions to be straight up to be honest about what they're charging 
Yes. And also what they're doing generally, you know, the, the products. Imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> and the problem is in Canada, as in other places in the world, the industry never presents a bill. They never say, here, Bo, here's exactly what yeah. you're paying. And here's the impact of those costs over time. Do you understand that? Perhaps you'd like to look at some lower cost products we have on the shelf over here. They never say that. That's crazy. And it's just like any other. Well, I, I like to think it's like any other business, like if you're going to buy a car. But I guess the truth is it, it is a very unique thing, right? To You're buying an investment. You're buying a piece of something yeah. that, that's supposed to grow over time. Yeah. And then the compensation is so weirdly structured. Well, they that never. Kind of thing. They don't present a bill, and they never see the money leaving because they just silently deduct it from your account every every week or month or quarter or whatever it is. So yeah. people, like my sister Mary, you know, she didn't understand this, and she's no dummy, right? Yeah, she's a smart woman. Five million Canadians out there own these these expensive mutual funds, and ninety nine percent of them have no sense of of the damage that these high fees what they cause. So investors, most Canadian investors, take 100% of the market risk, but they're only earning about 50% of the return. That's mm, the math. Really, eh? A 2% fee consumes 50% of your returns over time. Wow. So and it is a wow. It's, it's shocking. It's 2% taken off of whatever balance it is at, at the time. Is it, is it monthly? Is it annually? Well, some, it's, it's some, depending. Some, sometimes it's right? daily. Sometimes it's daily. Yeah. So 2%. And then... So there's less of it to grow. Is that the concept? Well, it, you lose the two percent. Yeah. So let, let's just use an example. Let's sure. say the let's say the uh, uh, the investments in your mutual fund, on average, earn grow at a value a rate of six percent a year. Yeah. Okay. But fees of two percent are deducted, so That's you right. only get four percent a year. But not only are you losing the the two percent that you're year, lo- your, but your but your fund is compounding now at four instead of six and so it's like and that's an enormous difference over time that could so, like double so the next year you would get like say you, if you're it was six percent um let's say you lost that two percent in fees that right. would have normally been then compounded another six percent the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year but it's gone and every year it's gone yes and that just seems yeah like you said it works out to about 50 percent loss yeah so Ooh. a couple quotes uh, i love sure one is uh, from einstein yeah he said uh, that compounding is the most powerful force in the universe yeah and it is astonishing what compounding can do over time the other quote that I, I think is worth keeping in mind comes from uh, Jack Bogle, who was the founder of Vanguard Funds, which is the largest low cost index. Bogleheads, I think, are the, the people yeah. who follow. I mean, he's, he's revered <laughs> sure. by so many people because he Vanguard, kind of yeah. invented these low cost. Absolutely. Funds. And he said that the, the miracle of compounding returns can be destroyed by the tyranny of compounding costs. Okay. Okay. So compounding is fantastic. When you're earning it, yes. it can be devastated when you're paying it. And, and effectively, these mutual funds, you, when you're paying 2% fees or whatever, it really damages the, the, this compounding effect, which is a huge driver of investment returns. And so you, you wrote this book to try to make sure that people at least find something that's well, – uh, do you find like if they feel like they get they're getting two percent of value from their fees, would you accept that? Like if people, oh, I feel like I'm getting the value. Mm-hmm. Is that happen? Is that real? Like what kind of value am I getting from a two percent fee? Well, I, I think two percent, given that that turns out to be, it, it tears out really half of your return. Yeah, it, 
be pretty tough to conclude that you're getting value. Like you that. like your advisor, you you have a friend. Now, if you're paying, you know, if your total fees, including the product fees, and and, and again, most people don't see these because the the industry never talks about it. But let's say you're you're paying a total of one percent fees. Sure. Well, if you really feel like you're getting good advice that goes along with mm-hmm. that, like you know, uh, coming up with a, a savings plan or yeah. looking at your retirement, estate planning, maybe additional advice yeah. real valuable advice and you say okay well you know I'm, I'm i'm losing a good chunk of my return but i'm getting advice i couldn't get elsewhere and it's really important to me yeah hey that's great if you understand what the impact of the costs are and with that understanding you feel you're getting good value from the advice you're receiving fantastic yeah but the two percent just seems like it's too much it takes away too much for it to be really worth it and when i if i think about the point five percent half a percent that i'm paying well simple to me i think that's because they put it all together they're building my portfolio of portfolio of balanced etfs already uh they're rebalancing they're managing it all for me and and they have nice software that i can look at okay that's fine i don't have to think too much 0.5% 0.5% is okay with me. I think that's pretty good value. Then they're only using ETFs or investing in, in ETFs that have very low uh, expenses as well, right? So it's like yeah, yeah. I'm going to be paying those no matter what, right, whether I do it myself or not. So it's really hard for me to compare. But they seem to pick the ones that are like, you know, in the 0.25 or the 0.1, even lower point. I, I think I've seen yeah. 0.05 or yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Oh, those are way, way better uh, and, and will build uh, much bigger nest eggs potentially for, you know, for, for uh, millions of Canadians. It, it, and I think robo-advisors will attract more and more and larger and larger numbers of Canadian investors. And, and that's a very good thing. But as you said, you could just do it yourself, too, and only pay 0.1% like total, right? Again, if you take a bit of time to learn the basics, yeah. learn a little bit about this stuff. And, you know, the, you'll be rewarded for decades to come. And <laughs> it can really make will. an enormous difference. Okay, let's just think about it. Depending on how long you've got, if you're 30 or 40 years old, sure, investing smarter and lower cost, not taking more risk, but just lower cost, mm-hmm. you can end up with double the investment income in that retirement. That extra time okay? at the end, you know, right? Who wouldn't want a 100% raise? Yeah, I know. And it's not that hard. We just have to have this outlook. And it's, it is it is hard for younger people to see that far it is, and to yeah. know that it's going to happen. But all yeah. you got to do is look at some examples of, you know, something's like, oh, 100,000. Now it's 200. And in the last couple of years, like three or 400,000 turns into seven somehow. And, and, it, but it, and that's how it happens because compounding is really fascinating. Yeah, so look, don't be intimidated. Yeah. Don't don't believe the industry portrayal of investing is too dangerous, too complicated. Don't even bother thinking about it. That's what they want. Take a bit of time to learn the basics. It's not that hard. You know, maybe it's not going to suit you and that's fine, but you may well find that you can invest smarter, lower cost and it can make a tremendous difference. And in terms of return on investment, you know, spending a few hours up front and maybe yeah. a few hours a year can earn you thousands, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Take a little time to, to learn the basics, and there's no downside. We work so hard at our, our day jobs, yeah. right? Like you might put in an extra, you know, extra effort to get this project done, and maybe that'll give you a, a couple extra thousand dollars in, in salary at some point. But we don't think about how just these little moves, these this little bit of time that you spend in a whole year could get you 
like thousands and thousands of dollars in the future. Yeah, I mean, the return on investment. Or, you know, mm-hmm. and Warren Buffett said the best investment you can make is in yourself. Mm-hmm. So skip, you know, skip one of those uh, Game of Thrones <laughs> That's right. uh, reruns or Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> you know, snuggle up and uh, read my book or another book. Or, That's or, it. Or and go online and take a, take a bit of time to learn the basics and you'll, you'll be rewarded forever. So the book is Beat the Bank, and, and that's the thing. There are some great books out there. Not everyone's going to speak to you. So like you sure. know, have a look at this. Have a look at Larry's book. This might be the one. Even if you tried other personal finance books, right? This might be the one that's like, yes, I get this. Well, go on my website, LarryBates.ca, and you'll see some of the um, endorsements I've received. Fantastic endorsements. Great um, uh, reviews from... From Money Sense and you know the other, trusted other, Canadian yeah. uh, and and also people. check out the uh, the the comments on uh, the reviews on on Amazon. Yeah, uh, a lot of people are finding this book is is really helping them. Uh, a lot of people saying, "Oh, I wish I knew this twenty years ago." Uh, but also, you know, just check out the the first few chapters in the Look Inside. Yeah, you see, it. you have that up there on Amazon yeah, or just on check the it out website. And, you know, maybe maybe it'll uh, twig something or not, but. Uh, but one, whatever you do, find a way to learn a little bit about the, the basics uh, of investing, and uh, and you'll be well served. So. And the, the key is you're helping. You're like you're not selling anything other than the book. Yeah, I mean you're, it's nine ninety nine uh, the <laughs> ebook, and uh, <laughs> actually, you know the way the book industry works is it's uh, it doesn't pay to be an author. You don't make a lot of money. Every I, I author I, is I told clear me about that. three dollars if somebody buys the book. Sure, and uh, my, probably my, all the time I spent, it's way less than minimum wage. You just want to make sure that people who don't have a finance degree, right, yeah. and background yeah. such as yourself, mm-hmm. can and your sister, for you know, for yeah. example, like th- like you said. There are people who are really smart at everything that they do, and finance is just one of those things that gets left out somehow yeah. of our brain, That's right? right? Because yeah. all of the brain power is being used up for that thing that you're really good at. <laughs> well, when we're brainwashed into thinking it's too complicated or, d- or dangerous, and, that too. and, and exactly. it doesn't have to be. I really enjoyed my career in the in the investment and banking business. I had a great time. I worked with great people. Mm-hmm. I learned an awful lot. Yes. And what I'm trying to do with the book is you know pass on some of the basics, not the sophisticated derivative stuff. No, all that, no. But just the basic steps to help an individual, you know, un- understand uh, the alternatives and, and make better decisions. And that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast too. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Great and, to be and here, coming both. To, coming to my studio. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'll come out to Hamilton to talk to you anytime. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds great. LarryBates.ca, beat the bank. Amazon, whatever. We don't have to tell people You'll where find to find it. books. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 2019 now, right? You should <laughs> know where to find a book. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been my pleasure. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave me a five-star rating, a review, or, or both. And if you're already a subscriber, you're awesome. Please join my Facebook group so I can thank you. To find the group... Go to Facebook and search for The Personal Finance Show. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Personal Finance Show. I'll be back next week with another great guest who will share their personal finance story.